Hi, I'm Sheldon Kennedy, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast, The Sheldon Kennedy Show. Hmm. These episodes will feature honest and open conversations with notable guests, except for today, just kidding, <laughs> who will share their stories, subject matter expertise, and insights on the many social issues we face today. This podcast is presented by Respect Group. Founded in 2004, Respect Group empowers people to recognize and prevent bullying, abuse, harassment, and discrimination through interactive online education. To date, over 1.6 million Canadians have been Respect certified in sport, schools, and the workplace. And I took a little bit of, of a shot there in my intro to our <laughs> next guest, but uh, I'm, I'm now delighted to introduce our next guest, uh, Jeff Hamilton, uh, a good friend and uh, someone that... Uh, uh, I've got to know over the last three years and, and, uh, and, and I've been proud to, to know him. But uh, Jeff is an award-winning investigative journalist with the Winnipeg Free Press. He was uh, most recently nominated for two national journalism awards, including the Michener Award, which I believe through talking with Jeff is a, is a huge award, and the C.J.F. Jackman Award, two of the largest media awards uh, that you can receive in this country. So uh, Jeff also covers the NHL's Winnipeg Jets and the Blue Bombers of the Canadian Football League. He is the president of the Football Reporters of Canada and a member of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. And when Jeff's not doing his investigative journalism or covering football and hockey, he likes going to garage sales and uh, looking for his next big find. So I never knew that about the garage sales, Jeff. What, like, what's your best find? What's your biggest find at a garage sale? Well, well, you know, I think it's, I think it would have probably come up in conversation here had it, had we not been kind of obviously the pandemic stopping garage sales. So that's been a challenge. That's not completely true. They did open up a bit last summer and I'm hoping that's a similar case this, this season as well. Um, But yeah, best find, man. I mean, there's tons. So like there's a, I have a, I have a particular interest in, in antiques and kind of vintage stuff, right. Stuff that like, you know, particularly when it comes to electronics, um, you know, journalism stuff. So for, you know, cameras, uh, typewriters, um, radios, just kind of old school things that I absolutely just, I, I just love the nostalgia of them. And, and really, I mean, as a journalist, I just love the story behind them. So, you know, I, I mentioned garage sales, I'm a guy who's a bit of a picker, you know, I like going into finding those gems, but you know, some of the nicest things I've found have been vintage typewriters that I find out later after buying them for three or $4 are worth three or $400. Um, in other cases, cameras, I've just gotten recently introduced to Facebook marketplace. And it's a bit of a side business now that there's items that I'm posting on there that people are messaging me right away and saying, take this down immediately. It's too low. Your price is too low. <laughs> And so, you know, I guess I'm not doing my research as an investigator, um, but no, it's, uh, I mean, to me, it's just, it's, it's a passion. It's a hobby. Um, there's a bit of a community involved, particularly here in Winnipeg. I'm not sure what it's like out where you are with garage sales or whatever, but uh, it's certainly something. It's also something I do with family. So it's something I do with my mom and my sister every, every weekend, every Saturday. So it's a, uh, it's uh, lots of good things involved and yeah, finding some cool kind of trinkets and stuff for, for not a big price. It's a, it's an awesome thing. I'd, I'd uh, recommend it to anybody. Well, there is some, uh, there are some gems out there. I mean, as you know, I'm a, I'm a farmer. So some of these old, you know, and we like to buy old uh, farmyards and fix them up and, mm-hmm. you know, get rid of stuff that really doesn't have any value, but you always find those gems, those hidden gems within those, uh, within those, uh, uh, those farmyards and stuff, but that's good, Absolutely. Jeff. That's a good hobby to have. It's a good passion. Yeah, it gets you know what it gets your mind off things and 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 um, yeah, it's just it's just different, right? And it's something that I've been doing now for for quite some time. I I get a little more educated. I kind of sold myself a little bit short early on. I mean, I do enjoy. I, I do have a knowledge um, on some things. It's just not everything. And and when I don't and it gets exposed, there's some good people out there to let me know. So yeah, well, that's good. We all we always need guidance. Well, you wouldn't have lots in your mind right now. I mean, there hasn't been much going on in your world in the last three years has there oh man yeah no i mean that's (laughs) yeah not much you know in fact things have certainly slowed down even as the jets playoffs is kind of wound up here but yeah no uh, what what sheldon's alluding to and and really is the basis behind our friendship and i echo those sentiments i mean you know as far as respect sheldon i don't know if i have much more respect for 
you know, anybody else, you know, beyond yourself. So to me, it's, it's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be on here. And, and ultimately, um, yeah, our friendship grew over my three year investigation into Graham James, a stain in our game. The, um, you know, that, that was something I put my heart and soul into something that you helped me out uh, along the way a lot. Um, and ultimately was released in December of 2020. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, certainly took me to a lot of places, um, certainly taught me a, a lot of things. And, um, I'm so grateful for, for, you know, people like yourself and, and, and the many, you know, hundreds mm -hmm. of people that I met along the way. So it's certainly, uh, certainly something I'm, I'm passionate to talk about and, uh, look forward to doing. Yeah. And what, and what, Jeff, what you're alluding to Jeff and to our, to our listeners is, uh, uh, Jeff, along with his, uh, team at the Winnipeg free press, put together a six part series called staying in our game. And, uh, it was to really capture, you know, how, how Graham James started, uh, you know, his, his life and, and how he was able to operate within a hockey system for decades and uh, the impact that he had. And, and I remember our first call, Jeff, I remember our very first call uh, that we had. And, and I remember you were talking about, you know, wanting to do this story and this is what we're going to do. And I can tell you, um, you know, from the time that we talked the first time to how the story was written and published uh, was very different. And I thought, uh, you know, came to a good place. And I think, uh, you know, that's to, that's credit to yourself and, and for being willing to stay open-minded enough, I believe, to, to, uh, to learn along the way. And but also uh, to dig in. I mean, you know, I, 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 this story would not have been an easy story to write because you would have had to gain trust and maybe talk a little bit about that. Like maybe talk a little bit if you can, Jeff, because I think, you know, there's a lot of people in, in the issues that we talk about around abuse, bullying, you know, harassment, sexual abuse, you know, addiction, all of that stuff that, you know, want to learn more and I think come into it thinking that they understand it but you know once you know maybe they find themselves in it or helping somebody in it it's totally different than what they had perceived it to be in their mind yeah absolutely and I and I uh, you know that <clears throat> what you just said there about the first conversation we had versus the final pr product you know really does resonate with me I, I never when I first started this, um, and just to be clear about something, you know, this was uh, something that the free press approached me about knowing that, you know, I, I have a, a, a passion and an interest in investigative stuff that I, you know, I like to go beyond just the scores in games. And, and I, you know, I really like to dig my, um, you know, dig my feet into to projects that are meaningful. And so, you know, when I was approached about this, this is something the Winnipeg Free Press had kind of attempted to do in 2012, right. obviously following, um, you know, Theo Fleury coming forward and Todd Holt and Greg O'Hooley. And of course, Graham James being back in the spotlight, you know, a decade after, or, you know, a decade or 15 years after you had come forward originally. So, you know, having that conversation was, was certainly interesting. I'm from the same community as Graham James, I grew up in, in, in St. James. I still live in St. James. Um, so I, I, I was familiar with, you know, the, the sights and sounds, if you will, of, of that, um, community and, and people, of course, and, you know, my parents grew up in, you know, I didn't grow up in St. James. I spent many years in St. James. Um, so I already had kind of that foundation. And, and so, you know, it was something I certainly wanted to take on, but what I, what I would learn over the next three years, has essentially changed who I am and shaped the man that I, that I am today and, and hopefully will become and, and continue to evolve in the future. Because, you know, one of the things I, I got early on in this was, well, Jeff, don't, you know, don't you think this has been done? Like, don't you think, you know, don't you think Graham James is kind of an old story by now? And, and is this really worth digging into and whatnot? And, um, you know, my answer to that question didn't exactly change per se, but it certainly evolved into, well, no. In fact, none of this story has been told. Um, what we know are, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously, there's big parts of the story that's been told, including your yeah. story, including all the other survivors that have come forward and, and shared their truth. Those are very, very extremely valuable things. But as you mentioned, uh, leading into your question was, we didn't really have any of the answers for how it happened or why it happened. And, you know, this isn't just, you know, 
Graham James, uh, you know, using hockey as a vehicle to abuse kids. It's, it's, it's the mental manipulation. It's, it's the, it's the manipulation of people around, you know, the, the survivors it's, it's the manipulation of, in some cases, an entire community, um, and sport in a lot of, in a lot of regards. And how exactly does that happen? And, you know, part of this thing too, like particularly early on and you, you know, this, this investigation didn't bring up this original thought, but you know, there's been people out there saying lots of people knew, right. Or lots of people had feelings or lots of people had this or that. And, you know, that kind of sparked my interest in to find out, well, well then what happened? Right, and right. one of the things that hadn't been really talked about was, was, you know, Graham himself, right. You know, how, how he yeah. grew up, what his um, situation was like at the ages of the kids um, that he eventually preyed on. What was his relationship with his father? Um, you know, because he often played a mentor or fatherly role to, to the survivors. So um, to me, it was kind of finding out that those answers, those kind of psychoanalyst answers, talking to the right people, and then kind of exposing, if you will, some of the stops along the way, some of the issues along the way, some of the the incidents along the way that should have, you know, raised red flags, but didn't. And, um, you know, how someone like Graham James was able to create, manipulate an environment that allowed him to then prey on on his players. And, um, you know, to me, it was it was getting those answers, not just for the survivors, not because there's a lot of people, as you know, you know, even you know, have a lot of those questions, wonder yeah. why, you know, and, 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 and so not just educating them or giving them the answers that they, they want, but giving the, the greater public a better understanding about, you know, a, a serial sexual predator like Graham James, and that he isn't unique, he might be unique in some of his abuse and, and extensiveness of his abuse, but he's not unique in the grand scheme of abuse, and how, you know, how, people become abused and, and, and what, and what are the, the things that come along the way? So the grooming process, the grooming, he's not unique. Exactly. I mean, it's very consistent. His grooming process is very consistent. And, you know, and I think one of the things that, that, you know, I think was an important piece, Jeff, which you touched about was, you know, yes, yes. The story uh, laid out an area that I don't think uh, had been told before, uh, which you just explained, but it also went to an area, which I also think, um, hadn't been explained either. And that was who enabled Graham? How did he, how was he enabled continually being enabled without being questioned for decades, uh, you know, with knowledge of his past. And I think, you know, and, and whether it was absolute crystal clear knowledge of his past, but there was enough, there was enough knowledge of his past where he needed to be questioned uh, for the safety of kids and the protection of kids. And he wasn't. And, uh, you know, maybe talk a little bit about that, because I think that's that was a big piece also. Well, and, and, and yeah, absolutely. And part of that is understanding the context. Right. I mean, what we how we view abuse in sport today in 2021 was a heck of a lot different than the way we viewed it in 1970, um, you know, in the 80s, 90s and so forth. So that's certainly not an excuse. It's just a better understanding and, and really shows in some ways the ways that we've evolved, um, but also in other ways, the ways we haven't. And I know there's you know, I know there's you've talked about this in your your two previous um episodes on this podcast and and I you know encourage listeners who are listening here to go back and listen to those because they're just terrific episodes but it, it, in those you talk about systemic issues and you talk yeah. about the word systemic and you know the thing that you like to use is is um not you know how you know it's the systems right it's it's right. It's, it's the look at you know what what was allowed you know so instead of instead of kind of pinpointing particular people which there certainly are in this investigation yeah. we don't they don't not do that it kind of shows just a little bit of what the culture was like what the environment was like and and so when you look at some of these incidents incidents in in the in the investigation whether it's back in the 70s um you know with the with the school division um in the 80s with the with the saint james school division and how you know there were members of of that group that that were aware of of what graham was not necessarily what he was doing but that what he was at least trying um, you know, and did nothing. And, and to me, it, it, those, some of those issues are systemic from today. And I, and I look at a sport like hockey, right? Like hockey, it's not about beating up hockey, but the reality is, is you, you know, you can go to an eight year old hockey game right now and you, you just have to see the passion in the stands to understand what is being harvested right now. And so a lot of people, particularly back then, and what, what really helped, um, 
you know, a serial sexual predator. I keep saying that because I just want to hammer that label in. Um, yeah. Someone like Graham James is that, you know, people would see things, but they would kind of, and this is a human, this is a human instinct in a lot of ways is kind of ignore them or try to make sense of them or suggest that, you know, maybe what they're seeing or what happened didn't happen. Right. And, and a lot of it too is, is not questioning yeah. the coach. I mean, we justify the, it. Well, that's the thing. And, and we've yeah. talked about this lots is the power dynamic, right? This is power and influence. And, and, you know, you look at, you look at the hockey system back then, you didn't question the coach because if you question the coach, the consequences were dire. You could kiss your career away. That's for one. And, and, you know, you kind of stayed in line and, and, and even on that power line, you know, Graham managed to be not only just the head coach, but the, but the general manager too. So when you play both those roles, you essentially have complete control over the team and you're usually celebrated by your ownership, particularly if you're successful um, wins, losses wise, results wise. And that just kind of, you know, we, I call it the perfect storm. There's other elements for sure, but you know, it's just, it creates the perfect storm for someone like Graham James to come in and manipulate his environment and to use um, ultimately the, the sport of hockey to, to do what he did to abuse, to abuse players. Yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. And I systemic, I think that was something that I just, you know, and I, and I did speak, speak with it uh, with Marco and the other podcast too, but it's, you know, something that I really had to take the time to try to understand because, you know, you're right. This, I mean, the systemic part of this is not just about the sexual abuse in hockey. How many people were scared to come forward with any issues because of the different, the power dynamics, right? And, and, uh, you know, but you look at the Graham Jameses of the world, well, they just thrive in that atmosphere, right? They just thrive, uh, you know, in that atmosphere, because nobody's ever going to challenge anybody because the way the system has been built over the years. And I mean, you know, I'm a big believer in to know better is to do better. And, you know, at the end of the day, we absolutely know better. And I think, you know, and I think there's been some great positive steps moving, like, you know, that have been done. There's no question. And this is not just a hockey issue. That said, I believe Jeff, and we've talked about this many times, you know, hockey's in a place to make a significant difference and be leaders in a space for not other, not just other sports, but, you know, whether it be, you know, all aspects of our, of our society. And I think, you know, we need to, this is not a one and done and it's not a box check. This is, I think, something that has to be continually looked at. We need to continually keep learning and it has to be put on the priority list within organizations not just under the policies and procedures list. And I think, uh, um, you know, we're getting there, but as you know, change takes, takes time a long time, but, um, you know, maybe just maybe comment on, you know, what you learned a little bit about. And I think one thing that's missing that, you know, that I think you touched on and through your, your discussions with Jay, uh, Macaulay, uh, sadly, uh, Jay, uh, passed away, um, on us, but uh, the, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, what you learned about, you know, the consistent impact that somebody like Graham James has, not only on, you know, the, the people that he directly impacted uh, through sexual abuse, but the community as a whole or the organization and the family members that surround it. Yeah, there's about three things I'd love to dive in on, on, on what you just mentioned, but I'll, I'll start with that last one with the Look, the idea, the idea that people believe, um, you know, there's a, a belief that, you know, justice is served when somebody gets a prison sentence. Now, you look at a guy like Graham James and, you know, I think you can certainly make the argument that justice hasn't been served in the legal spectrum. Um, that being said, he has spent years behind bars. I wouldn't want to spend 24 hours in, in prison, let alone years. And I know that, that Graham James experience was not a positive one. Um, that's talked about in, in the investigation as well. This guy was a target um, because of, you know, obviously sexual, serial sexual abusers are a target in jail, but also because he was, you know, people are big hockey fans in this country too. And so when you have this, you know, the, the, the players that you preyed on that made it there and, and, you know, people care about, it just adds to that. So, um, but ultimately uh, that, that uh, just... and, sorry, Jeff, and oh. how many people 
you know, what we know about the impacts, right? We know about the impacts of sexual abuse and abuse and toxic homes and impacts of early childhood trauma. How many of those people in jails knowing the, I mean, I've been in, I've had to spend 15 days in jail. I mean, that's no one. I mean, how many people in those jails have been impacted as a kid or sexually abused in their life that put them in that place? Well, that speaks to it, right? I mean, we're, I mean, we, that's a whole other one too, right? Yeah, I mean, childhood trauma, to childhood hole, trauma but... is one of the most underreported um, issues, if you will, in society. And it leads to all those things we talk about, whether it's addictions, whether it's crime, all these things, right? Substance abuse um, and whatnot. But just to get back to kind of the earlier point there is that justice is, justice needs to be served outside of a courtroom. Um, and it, it comes with support, you know, supporting the survivors, um, supporting the survivors' families, supporting the survivors' communities. And one of the things that, you know, just, you know, giving a prison sentence isn't going to take away the pain and the, and the carnage and the damage that's inflicted um, through these abuses. And, you know, it seems like we, you know, we like to look at this and say, even, you know, even the survivors will come out and say, you know, and this isn't a judgment to them. They, I mean, I think a, a prison sentence, you look at a guy like Larry Nassaro and, U.S. Gymnastics and Michigan State University, I yeah. mean, you got decades and decades. Now, you can go out there and say justice has been served, but if you took in any of those dozens of impact um, statements from, from the survivors, you understand that him being behind bars isn't going to fix everything. So, you know, there, there are a lot of programs out there. There's a lot of support systems out there, but it's just something that is, is um, underfunded. It's under, you know, the there's so many things that can be done for people for recovery, for them to not just get back to whole if that's possible, but to be able to live their lives and contribute to society and not be, you know, kind of left to their own devices to support themselves. And, and so that's the part that I think is, is really kind of, you know, not misunderstood, maybe just a lack of understanding in general. And that, you know, those are parts of the, of the, of the, you know, the carnage that these, serial abusers inflict on on people and their families because you know at the end of the day it's great that these people are out of society and put behind bars and are, are paying i guess a debt uh their debt to society but i'd argue that debt is impossible to pay back um and in ways that you know you understand and, and a lot of people who have been through this understand because at the end of the day childhood trauma is, is affects every family out there it's it's very much like you know, we, like we talk about cancer and affecting everybody and that's not to, you know, discredit cancer, obviously. It's just, it's in the same conversation that everybody is affected by it one way or another. Yeah. Well, and it's real. And I think for a long time, and I think we're just starting to get to the point, you know, in the medical community, but you know, in the, in, in this area of, of acknowledging and understanding its impact. I mean, I think, you know, forever, it was just get over it, ah, whatever, you know, that happened a long time ago. And I think, you know, what I've learned about this, too, is that, you know, it's, uh, and I go back to the phrases, I need to keep this stuff simple, but it's, uh, you know, scars last a lifetime. And the reality is, is they do, this will change the trajectory of a, of a kid, of a young person, of a child, of a teenager, uh, for the rest of their life. And it's not just it's not just what happened to them. It's what happened to them, which set them on a whole different road than they would have been on before of a healthy, excited, a road that allowed them to dream about their future and have good experiences at the playground. They've now been set on a road that, you know, has them looking over their shoulder, you know, constantly filled with anxiety anger, depression, confusion, addiction, mental health. And now with that, as we know, you know, well, the, now you start hurting people that you love. And, you know, I'm not saying, and, and by living in addiction. And when you're living in addiction or struggling with mental health issues, you know, there's a lot of impact to those family members, to those that you love, you push away people. So, you know, you're not only now dealing with what happened to you, you're dealing with, you know, all of the, all of the hurt and pain that comes with the road that that incident set you down. And, and I think, you know, we learned that. And I mean, I'd love you to talk a little bit about Jay, Jay, a little bit, uh, uh, Jeff, and, you know, kind of, how that how you, how that relationship came to be and and you know just 
touch on that because to me i think you know that that's an important piece of the story it's a huge part of the story and and mm -hmm. and i think it would be it'd be very helpful for our listeners to learn that mm -hmm. so i'll start by saying that you know one of the one of the greatest things about about this investigation that i did was the network of people that i met um you know and and obviously yourself included but even just people who were willing to help out, you know, who didn't, who didn't have as maybe as much knowledge or what, whatever, but just the people I came across. And one of those individuals, because um, in chapter three, I, I actually confront, I go down to BC and confront an old, um, old, old teacher who had been sexually abusing students. Um, and uh, one of those students who I, I chatted with is actually the, the person who was playing hockey with Jay McCauley in high school. Um, his name's Peter Anadranastakis. Uh, he, you know, great, great human. Consider him a great friend. He actually played hockey with Jay McCauley. And somewhere in the investigation, while Jay was in jail, um, got a hold of Peter and they reconnected and started to get to talking. And he disclosed to Peter about his experience with Graham James when he went down there in the late eighties, early nineties uh, for two, two separate camps. Um, and so he connected me with him, which is just a, you know, insane as it is. And so we got to talking and, and Jay, you know, I, you know, Jay and I became really good friends over about two years. You know, it was, it's, you know, I wrote a column on it after his untimely death, which I'll get into, but he ended up, um, you know, I was very, very intrigued on, on how our first conversation would be. I met with him in Winnipeg's downtown train station with a mix of feelings. You know, I was, I was, I was encouraged in the sense that, you know, this was a guy who was a, a new survivor who had a bad experience with Graham James. So it'd be interesting to hear his story and what information he'd have. But I also had, you know, I was anxious. I had anxiety. This was a guy who had spent the better part of the last, you know, at least decade behind bars, um, addicted to, painkillers addicted to opiates addicted to alcohol and had really numb you know had been been numb by all these things and and yet he wanted to have a conversation with me and I'll say this the it took about five minutes before my guard was completely down and I saw somebody and maybe that speaks to a little bit of my perceived judgment um that's certainly one of the things that I've gained from all this is is greater empathy um greater understanding for people who who are in the grips of of um you know, addiction. So anyways, I, you know, what happened from there was, you know, Jay and I would meet every, every uh, two weeks in person. Um, you know, it, it took about, you know, one or two, three, maybe sessions. They often last for, for more than an hour um, to kind of get through, you know, his, his, uh, his account with, with Graham and, and how he was sexually abused over, over two stints, like again, in 1989, 1990. And, and how essentially it derailed his life, um, you know, and he was just kind of coming to grips with that, having talked uh, while he had been serving, I think it was a two year prison sentence, um, had talked to a medical professional and was ha had talked for about a year at that point, I believe, um, about what had happened and, and kind of, again, coming to grips to it. And, and what evolved from there is, you know, we, we were we'd be talking about Graham James, but then we were just talking. Um, yeah. talked about life, talked about, you know, his daughter who he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in her life, but, you know, he cared about her and, um, it started to be a bit of a, a you know, not a bit, it was a, it was a friendship where we're, we were encouraging each other, you know, to improve our lives and, um, sharing best practices for, for when we got overwhelmed with feelings and talked about meditation and got to a point where we were talking every week, um, for again, better part of two years. And, you know, obviously, you know, Jay's story was, is the first chapter. It resonated with a lot of people, people, you know, I, it's amazing the, the impact that he had when he came out with his story. Um, just the hundreds of, of notes that I received from people who were sharing their own experiences or were, were encouraging people they knew to share theirs or just sharing all the respect they had for Jay coming forward and his, his bravery. And so, you know, as, as the, you know, as we know with our eyes, learn, I've learned over time. And as you've known from, from, you know, your, your involvement in addictions is that it's a, a very complex issue. Um, there isn't a, a tidy story arc of, you know, the, the you know, person down in the dumps and is now rising and getting out of this and the future is bright. It is an everyday process. And so that was certainly evident when, when Jay finally, you know, as, as the story was about to get, or as the investigation was about to get published. And as I mentioned, he was chapter one, Jay had just gotten out of jail. Um, he, he had finished his sentence 
And, uh, it took him about 24 hours before he was back on drugs being free. And this was after conversation, many, many, many conversations of, you know, not going back about, you know, getting the help and, and, you know, encouragement and all these things, it wasn't enough. And so, you know, with, with, uh, with cons- consulting both Jay and his family, we went forward with the story. Um, but behind the scenes, you know, it was kind of, let's get to work. This isn't, you know, he can't, we can't just leave Jay up to his own devices. He needs help. And, you know, thankfully people like yourself, um, you know, our friendship led to, to, to getting him an opportunity at Fresh Start Calgary, uh, you know, one of the best programs you know, not only just rehab programs, but transition programs in the country. And so Jay went through that whole process as well. You know, I think it was about a two month process and or 16 weeks actually. And so he, you know, he went through that and, you know, we talked throughout that, you know, I should mention, we talked while he was in jail probably two, three times a, a week. And so, you know, after he was out, it was, it was again, so many good things, so many um, positive things. He was finally with people. This is talking about fresh start, of course, people who, you know, like-minded people, people who had the same struggles. He right. was, he was learning things, you know, that were helping him deal with his demons that were gaining confidence, you know, like talking Jay, he was back to the old Jay where, you know, he was outgoing and, and I haven't really talked about this, but um, Jay was such a kind hearted um, kid almost, you know, he had this childhood innocence to him that was just so obvious. And, you know, a lot of those notes that I got were from people who, were you know former friends and high school classmates of of Jay's and they all said the same thing that this guy you know he was a tough guy on the ice but he never went and picked it and he always defended his friends but he you know he was he was just a guy people wanted to be around but anyway so you know after he got out of fresh start same kind of conversations was set up with an apartment in Calgary and it, it really felt like this was you know the start of a new chapter um for Jay and 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 you know the start of better days and Ultimately, what happened was he came back from Winnipeg on a Saturday, um, and by Sunday, he was gone. He had overdosed um, 24 hours later, and um, yeah, it was, it was obviously a really tough thing, uh, you know, uh, really emotional for me, someone that I considered, like I said, a, a good friend. But, you know, at the same time, it is a stark reminder um, of consequences of of addictions and that it is you know there is no not saying there is no hope in the future of course there's hope in the future but that it's an everyday thing and that you know you need to be focused on it i'm not saying jay wasn't we those are some of the you know there's some questions we'll never get answers to but i will say this the legacy that jay has left um you know has been is an important one not just to him and his family but to the hundreds and i'm sure thousands of people out there that that have been affected by his story and you know it was a at the end of this, it was a, it was a absolute pleasure and an honor um, to know Jay McCauley. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Jeff. And I know that, you know, I know that, uh, uh, you know, you and Jeff uh, went on a, on a, on a journey together and that, uh, you know, and I'm sure you learned a lot through that as, as you've stated. And sadly, sadly, you know, Jeff's story is just, uh, you know, not, not a unique Jay's, story. Yeah, you're, I hear what you're or, uh, Jay's yeah. story is not a unique story. It's, uh, it's, it happens a lot uh, being in the recovery world. Sadly, we see it way too often, but I mean, I think one stat to remember through all of this is that, you know, uh, 80% of individuals in treatment centers have disclosed early childhood abuse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just need to connect the dots a little bit. Um, you know, I think we're, we're kind of getting near the end of, of, uh, of, of our time, uh, uh, Jeff, and I, I'd like you to talk a little bit about, you um, were recently um, nominated for two large and high profile awards within this country in, in the journalism, uh, uh, journalism awards. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, about that? And, you know, and I think, you know, for me, and we've talked about that, about this before is that to, to be able to have a story like this recognized at that level on the issues that you talked about, um, I think is huge because that's where they need to be talked about. So just, just talk to me a little bit about that if you, if you don't mind. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you know, you, you don't do it for, you don't do it for the recognition or the awards. Um, but as you mentioned, there are benefits, um, to getting this kind of recognition that go beyond, you know, just personal accolades. Um, 
it gives you kind of, I don't know if credibility is the right word per se, but it gives your story kind of legs to share again to, um, you know, particularly when you're recognized, people read your stories, they, you know, they go to your newspaper because those two awards, one's the, as you mentioned, the Missioner Award, it's, it's, it's likened on their website to the, um, you know, like the U.S.'s Pulitzer Prize for Journalism. So it's one of the highest accolades you can get. So just the recognition there is, you know, it, it brings a lot of eyeballs um, to your story. And, right. and those are important because that's how you get people to, to resonate with it. I mean, even opportunities like this. I mean, we've been talking about it. These are great opportunities to drive people to the investigation because, you know, the more people that read it, the better. Um, right. The second award is the Canadian Journalism Fund's Jackman Award. Um, it's kind of on the same level there. And, and, and you know, these two awards, they recognize, you know, me as a writer, but they also recognize um, the newsroom I'm part of at the Winnipeg Free Press and their, our collective effort, right? Because as much as, you know, I, you know, I <laughs> gave my heart and soul to this for, for years, you know, I was, I was afforded the opportunity to do this, right? The time, the energy, and we just, with journalism, we just don't see it enough. There's not enough publications that are, are willing or able to provide those kind of resources, resources being time, resources being, you know, there's a massive process in this, right? There's the, the writing process, but then there's the editing process. You got to go through lawyers. It's got to go through a bunch of set of eyes. You got to make sure that you're fact checking everything, that everything is, you know, above board um, when you finally push that publish button. And so, you know, that th th these two awards are, are, you know, I'm super humbled by them and I'm just so proud to be part of the Winnipeg free press and be part of a newsroom that knows the value and cares about this kind of journalism. So as much as, you know, I'm, <laughs> I hate talking about myself, to be honest, I get a little uncomfortable, but it, it is particularly, um, it's a special thing to, to get recognized for these awards and, you know, to, to recognize not just our work, but uh, newsrooms work as well. There's another thing I wanted to bring up and I know we're kind of closing here, but I just, I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on it. And it was one of your comments, Sheldon, about hockey and playing a role, you know, with all this. And, you know, it, it's not like you gotta, you know, you want to beat up on the sport, but the reality is, is hockey is, is the most popular sport in Canada. And it has the biggest reach and they do have a responsibility mm -hmm. to set the bar. They do have a responsibility because they have kids that look at this game. The influence that hockey has on the younger generation on parents is greater than any other sport in this country. And so, you know, there is an onus to, to, to take that responsibility and do good with it. And I think where hockey where we have seen great steps. I mean, uh, I'll start off by saying the great steps have been, if you, if you notice hockey Canada's board and, and I, I look at guys like Mike Bruni, who I know, you know, well, and, and, you know, he's a breath of fresh air when it comes to hockey, you know, officials. And, you know, there is a new board there, right. They elected a diverse, a number of diverse members of the board. And that is a great start. Absolutely. But the problem with hockey is they often, are reactionary um and they're also very defensive because you know it's this isn't just a hockey thing well no it's not just a hockey thing but you have the most athletes and the reality is is that is that until hockey views their responsibility more towards the 99 percent of kids and players that that participate in the game as growing and getting a positive outcome out of out of the sport versus trying to find the 1% to ice for the Canadian Olympic team or the national programs or whatever, hockey will continue to get dragged and will be responsible for getting dragged. Because the fact is, is I, this thing sits with me. This comment sits with me. I played hockey my entire life. I owe, I feel like, you know, hockey gave me friends. It gave me relationships. And I, and I wonder after all the years, you know, I've had various coaches, various experiences, if I got as much as I gave to the sport, and I'm not sure I, I did. And I think that's the situation for a lot of kids is that you give so much to the game. How much do you get back? And so until Hockey Canada is willing to look in the mirror, not feel sorry for themselves, that they get bad press here and there, as we've seen over the last particular last couple of years, whether it's through diversity issues or treatment and assaults, 
you know, abuse that we talked about, as I talked about in the investigation. I mean, the CHL has a class action lawsuit. I don't need to tell you that right now. And I think hockey's having a reckoning until people at the top, you want to talk about systemic people at the top of hockey, Canada, look in the mirrors and try to develop humans before players. They're going to be in the spotlight for a very, very long time. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, and when I talk about it, I mean, I think that there has been some steps and I think, you know, to make decisions to say, Hey, you know what, you need to educate every coach, every, you know, parent, everybody, you know, it's a start. It's not the end all be all, but, you know, I I agree, uh, uh, Jeff with, you know, uh, a lot of your comments that you just made. And I think, I think that they're in a position to really have massive influence and and i think that you know for a lot of years we could slough this these issues off and uh you know they'd make a lot of noise for a little for a while and then they'd go away and you know and a lot of the mindset was is just be quiet about it don't comment and it'll go away and i think where we're at right now and not just in hockey i mean but you know we're obviously in that conversation but it's not going away so change is happening change has to happen because the the stories just aren't going away. And I think, you know, that's bringing a lot of shift to sport in general, right? Just a whole different way. And, and, you know, we, we know more. And I think if anything, this pandemic has, you know, brought an even, you know, greater uh, acknowledgement of the importance of sport and activity in our country for young people. And we know it's one of the best tools that we have for mental health, stress and anxiety. And what are our kids struggling with? Just that. So anyway, I think, you know, when we get down to it, you know, if we look at sport in general uh, and hockey being, you know, the leader in our country uh, as the most popular sport, this becomes recruitment and retention. And what are the struggles that, you know, I know hockey's having recruitment and retention. And, you know, until we get these issues right and they become your priority within every organization, um, you know, they're going to keep struggling with recruitment and retention. And, uh, you know, so to me, um, what I've learned about these issues being in them for 25 years is change takes time, but I do feel that there's an urgency that, uh, is in front of us right now, like, like, like no other. And, and, um, and let's hope that, you know, let's hope that, that they get it right and, and keep moving. And I don't think it's like, okay, it's done. I think it's just got to be one of those constant things that we keep learning, keep massaging, keep changing, keep growing. Just, it's just got to be one of those living, you know, areas, living documents, living, priorities within organizations it, it's that's the way we got to get to and this isn't hockey's this isn't hockey's job to fix that's not that's not the no. point and all this is it, it's it's their responsibility to help and 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 this that's isn't right. you know as you mentioned it's not it's not a it's not a hockey issue it's it's not a sports issue it's an everyone issue and that right. you know in, in that you you know particularly when it comes to sports it's all results based, right? You had a great conversation with Gretchen Kerr in your, in your second episode where, you know, coaches are hired based on results. Coaches are, you know, and I think you're right. I think change is happening. I think hockey's having a reckoning. I think sports is having a reckoning in the sense that even now, like I look at, you know, I cover sports, even at the top levels, coaches aren't getting away with that anymore. You know, the, the coaches that are being sought after are the, you know, quote unquote, progressive coaches, the ones that can reach their players. Because at the end of the day, like if you look at players, for instance, I know, you know, I know you're thinking about Eddie here, but it's just a, it's a, it's a fascinating conversation because, you know, dealing with professional athletes. I mean, when you talk about confidence, confidence is about results too. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm super confident. I just scored a goal or I scored, you know, I've scored goals in, in, in two or three straight games. I'm on a, on a streak. My confidence has an all time high. There's a problem with that. Right. Because every, you know, the, the culture of sport is based on results. So the results being goals or assists, like, I mean, you can have a heck of a, of a few games and feel good about yourself, but if you're not producing, you know, that's the culture of sport. You don't feel as good. We should be putting in a situation here where, we're building players up. Now this is, you know, and I, and I hate the people who say, well, okay, well, hockey's tough and this is too soft. Like this isn't a soft approach it's a human approach. And you will, you will be amazed by the success that your team has. If coaches are listening to this, the success that your team has will be collective. 
Yeah. Well, and I also think too, Jeff, it's like, you know, we can't just, you know, we can't, and I think, you know, and this is just things that I've heard through, through my, uh, my work, but it's like, you know, we just can't say, Oh, coaches don't do this and go into that. I think that what we're talking about is a new way of doing business uh, because we know more now Uh, it's a taught skill. So we need to be able to help mentor coaches and guide them and teach them how to be better in these spaces and in these certain situations that they need to deal with that, you know, and, and in all fairness to them, don't have a lot of knowledge or education in and have never been taught a different way. Um, And I think, you know, like, especially dealing, you know, well, not, I mean, I guess it wouldn't matter what level you're at. It's just all coaches in general, but I think it's, we need to be able to help give them some tools to be able to address situations, to be able to almost help mentor them through situations that they may find themselves in and, and give them a chance, give them a chance to be better. And I think some will rise to that challenge and be better and work hard at it because you know what, this isn't about being perfect. It's about, it's about, you know, being able to be, uh, to make progress in this area, to, to work hard, to, to be better, acknowledge uh, any wrongs that you may have done, uh, admit them and apologize and move on. And I think that's, you know, basic, you know, let's grow. And I think that, you know, we need to help with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's great. It's grow together. I mean, exactly. I mean, coaches, coaches give their free time, right? I mean, for for the grassroots coaches, right? So if you're constantly telling them what they're doing wrong without telling them how to do things, you know, better or right, if you will, you know, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you're just doing one direction. Well, that's right. And I, and I know we're, you know, we're proud of our work at respect group, but we're, we're one piece of it. And there needs to be more. And I think, you know, I, I can tell you, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great leaders, sport organization leaders that, you know, that are, uh, that understand and, and are doing their best to, to make change and make, you know, make their organizations uh, better and give the tools to their people and across this country. And I, you know, I want to make sure we acknowledge them too. And I think, Absolutely. you know, we need to, we need to make sure that, you know, uh, we embrace that and, and, you know, but anyway, I, I, uh, Jeff, I'm very honored that you, that you joined me. I thought that was a great conversation. It's, we never, we always seem to talk for, you know, one or two hours, uh, which is, (laughs) which is a good thing. And, and, um, you know, and part of our, uh, uh, part of our, for our guests as a thank you, we're, we're going to make a, we'll make a hundred dollar donation to a charity of your choice. And, and uh, um, yeah. So do you like, where, where have you given any thought where you might put that money? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, a, a program that I've a facility I've worked, it's a kind of in the process of, of they exist, but their, their grand plan won't be, won't be achieved for, for some time now as they continue to kind of raise money, but it's the Toba center here, right here in uh, right here in Winnipeg. That is, very much like um, the advocacy center that used to be named after you and that you were a big part of um, one of those kind of all inclusive um, centers for youth. Right. So it's uh, for, for youth and kids. And because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's our kids that are the future. It's our youth that are the future. And we want to give every youth out there the best possible chance to strive. So the Toba center deals with um, sexual abuse victims use it, but it's like I mentioned, it's all encompassing. It's not, um, you know, the social workers, the, you know, the all under one roof, RCMP police, um, you know, counselors, all kind of under the same roof to understand that um, giving the resources and providing an opportunity to not just, you know, deal with, with what you, you know, the abuse, but to, to go on to live a productive life that, every kid deserves it's places like this that offer that and you know i'm so proud to be a part a small 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 part of of this program and and knowing the people there and how passionate they are people like yourself i mean some of the greatest people dedicate their lives um to this and and just to be able to to share their passion and to see it firsthand um through the toba center to me is just um just an awesome thing and and uh so proud and happy that uh you you know you're given 
an opportunity to give some money to them too. So that's even, right that's even all the better. So hey, terrific. we might be able to, you know, buy a book for a young a young child or family or something or whatever. You know whatever. But I know the Toba, I know the Toba Center. I know uh, Christy and the group that's uh, you know they're heading out on a capital campaign. I know and. And, uh, you know, and, and what you were talking about is real, true integrated practice. And I think, you know, being able to bring all those agencies that have the legislative mandate um, to protect our children, bring them under one roof. And I think, you know, through our conversation of what we're talking about, you know, you want to talk about trauma. It's not just the kids trauma, but these frontline people that are doing this work day in and day out. Uh, you know, we need to make sure we're taking care of them. And I think the whole process of this at the child advocacy centers is to create a, a true integrated uh, plan within with all the systems. And, and that's a taught skill also. And we know that. And I think one of the biggest areas of, uh, of, of, I guess, benefit from, from this type of work is, is the, the burnout rate uh, within our front line. And that's something that's very real, but also being able to reach kids early. We know the sooner we can reach them, if they've been hurt, the better chance they have to get back on that road of dreaming about a, about a future, having fun with their friends, you know, not, worrying about who's going to be home at my house or when's this person going to stop over and so forth. So another um, big piece of that too, Sean, just not, not to interrupt, but another big piece of that is to also follow up, right? Yeah, have, exactly. have the system in place to follow up that it's not just one or two meetings. It's, 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 it's having the resources to find out, well, you know, the kid we talked to or the family we talked to, you know, one month, one year ago, how are they doing? You know, are, are they getting the resources to continue? It's not just kind of a one-stop shop in the sense of, okay, you come in once it is uh, you know, that it's that all encompassing, as you mentioned, kind of process. And that's so important today. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, Jeff. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today. And, and uh, to our listeners, be sure to subscribe to our show in your podcast app so we can stay connected. This show was made possible by respect group. And to learn more about their work and vision, visit respectgroupinc.com. And you can you can uh, watch the, the Sheldon Kennedy show at theSheldonKennedyShow.com. And Jeff, thank you very much. Have a great time going into the second round with the with the mighty Jets. Uh, and everybody needs a win. The Jets gave the, the province of Manitoba uh, uh, some energy that we all need through COVID. So uh enjoy and have fun thanks so much sheldon really do appreciate uh not just you as a human but you doing th this kind of work as well and providing platforms for for a guy like me so absolutely an honor to be part of this and uh all the best of luck as you continue to uh bring on great guests and i and i'm gonna echo you i think anybody who's listened to this podcast uh smash that subscribe button and um stay tuned for more for more good things smash that subscribe button that's funny. All right. <laughs> See you, man. Take care. Thank you.